In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. What does Cincinnati do now? Can Frank Gore carry teams across the goal line in the fantasy playoffs? And is it time to rethink the quarterback position in fantasy? We're talking all that and more on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome back to Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by Indeed and Bet Online. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz, joined by the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, Matt Friedman. Matt, we have made it to Thanksgiving week in this COVID year. Uh, I think we all just need to be thankful for the fact that we have made it this far into the season with some hiccups along the way. There certainly will be more, but we've managed to now have 11 weeks of football, which I think we all have to be thankful for. Yeah, no canceled football games. Um, Massive win. Everyone would have taken that. Uh, Even if you had said you get only uh, 11 weeks of football, I think uh, in July, everyone would have taken that and just been happy. So that we are at this point uh, is a massive gift. And uh, I mean, it looks like things are, I mean, obviously COVID uh, is picking back up, but you know, it looks like the league is going to carry on. So uh, I mean, I think we're going to get 16 games for every team. Yeah. So you have to be thankful for that. Um, It has really played out despite the hiccups that there's been. I mean, overall it's gone from a, getting the games played perspective smoother, I think, than I was expecting. So that has been impressive. I had a fun clip I was going to play for everybody. However, though, Matt won't be able to hear it when I play it. I'm going to put that on to the end of the show, but I'm going to give you a quick Thanksgiving question. Then we will get into the football. Is there one item of food that you are most looking forward to consuming uh, in the coming week? Uh, in theory, I normally really go in for pie, but, uh, I'm going to try to do something different this year, which is, uh, celebrate Thanksgiving by not eating pie because like once I, once I start eating pie, it's just like pie for the next like five weeks, like all the way up until Christmas. And, uh, you know, like I don't want to put on like 10 extra pounds of pie basically. So, uh, I'm going to forego pie, uh, in an active extreme self-discipline, uh, in order to, uh, keep off the weight. And so that way, if I actually do end up catching COVID at some point, I'm just a little bit healthier. Okay. I can respect that. Um, I'm going to be having for the first time, a scarlet pie. Have you ever had this? No, I'm reading the description of it. Yeah. Flaky pie crust filled with juicy pear, tender apples and figs and tart cranberries all topped with a crispy walnut streusel. Okay. I I have had something similar to that. I didn't know that's what it was called. Okay. Well, this will be a first for me. So it's good. It's good. All right. I'll, uh, I'll let you know how it is. Uh, it should be good. Something that is not good. Joe Burrow suffers a MCL ACL 
and other various complications uh, within his knee. Looks like Cincinnati is going to have to turn toward Ryan Finley. Just a really disappointing thing for Burrow is having a really great uh, rookie season. Naturally, this is going to hurt the value of players like T. Higgins, I would have to imagine. Yeah, uh, absolutely sucks. Not to say that this was inevitable by any means, but um, you obviously increase Burrow's chance of uh, a major injury if you put him behind an offensive line that totally sucks. And, uh, you know, so it's, I don't want to say like it's malpractice, but it's like, I mean, come on, like max protect, like do everything you can to ensure that this guy doesn't get injured. Um, so it sucks for him, sucks for the fans and obviously, uh, sucks for fantasy investors of Burrow and all of the other players in that offense. Cause the offense definitely will take a hit. Yeah. So if you are somebody that has Tyler Boyd, T Higgins, Let's even throw Giovanni Bernard into the mix because I guess we got to talk about the fact that Joe Mixon, it doesn't look like, is going to be available in the coming weeks. What do, you, what do you do with these players, Matt? Can you start them or do you need to take a week off and see how Ryan Finley works within that offense? I mean, if you if you have Boyd, you're probably starting him because he's a high floor guy based on his target volume and you might not have three other wide receivers who are all clearly above him. Um, but I, I mean, I'd say Higgins, uh, AJ Green, uh, maybe maybe even Bernard, you you do want to be a little more cautious about. Yeah, I think that I agree with that. Um Especially because, like you said, I'm thinking of the teams where I have Boyd, and it is going to be hard to, at this point, find somebody that I still feel better about. Um, I'd almost like to say the same for Higgins, but I'm not sure that I'm quite there. Uh, Before, though, we move off of Cincinnati, I just want to take a quick minute just to kind of place a context in um, the season that Joe Burrow was having. Um let me pull up the so on on the year it passed for 2688 yards completion percentage of 65 13 passing touchdowns to five interceptions um on the ground three rushing touchdowns 136 yards on 37 rushes keep in mind this was his rookie season uh wasn't even clear heading into the season that he was going to be um the starter if if i'm remembering no, correctly he so, was going he was going to be the starter okay all right. Either way, though, I still think it was a really solid rookie campaign. Uh, he was, yeah, he was having himself a really nice season that would have seemed even better if not for Justin Herbert just totally lighting it up. Um, you know, so in in comparison to Herbert, who was like on his way already to winning rookie of the year, uh, it was it was a good season. Yeah, twenty point eight PPR. Well, you know, fantasy points per game. Ranked seventeenth among quarterbacks. Uh, you know, so good, solid rookie season for Joe Burrow. We hope that he'll be able to, uh, recover and, uh, you know, just keep, uh, pressing forward in the coming years. Chicago looks like Nick Foles and Mitchell Trubisky are both banged up and might be unavailable for the bears. Uh, what are we doing with the likes of Allen Robinson, maybe Anthony Miller, Darnell Mooney on some teams, if Foles and Trubisky are not playing. Yeah, it looks like it would be Tyler Bray, the third stringer, uh, who would actually be starting, which is a horrible situation. Uh, the other guys, I think, 
you can't touch at all. Allen Robinson, I mean, if you have him, I, I feel like you have to start him, but a horrible situation at quarterback. And I think he would probably be shadowed by Jair Alexander, who has the top uh, PFF coverage grade in the league. So, like, it's a tough matchup anyway, made all the more difficult by his quarterback situation. Yeah. Um, I think it's hard to argue feeling very positive about any of those guys. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, just a quick note here. Uh, looks like he's unlikely uh, to play in week 12. So that lingers. Josh Allen could. Hey, mix- let's let's okay. talk about Christian McCaffrey for a second. Yep. If he doesn't play in week 12 and let's just assume he doesn't. What do you think the odds are that they just shut him down for the season? I actually think that they're decent. I would I would probably put yeah. them around like. 50% maybe in 55 60. Yeah. Like I would say maybe more like 35%, but maybe I'm low. You know, cuz like at that point, like they're in the final month of the season and it's really easy for them to say like, you know what? Uh even if he comes back, he's not going to be 100%. Let's just go ahead and shut him down for the rest of the year. Like this is it's a real threat that McCaffrey is just done. And yeah. I don't I don't know if the market is calibrating for that, that possibility correctly. Like in some leagues, you still have a trade deadline. I would seriously look at trading McCaffrey away if there's someone who thinks he's a value. Okay. Yeah. That's really interesting because we kind of talked about this last week and, um, Given this news, I think it really solidifies the position that uh, if you weren't worried about the health concern of somebody that owned McCaffrey last week, things are now starting to shift. I think I will go back and say maybe I'm closer to 45, 50 percent just because it did occur to me that the team could bring him back and then just let him split time or have Mike Davis handle the bulk of the work and just kind of still have him in the mix. Who knows? But I think either way, it's definitely something that's troubling. Yeah. Um, Josh Allen dealing with a knee injury could miss next week. I very honestly do not know who the backup is on Buffalo. Can you uh, enlighten me here, Matt? I honestly, I do not know. Uh, it's, I think it's Matt Barkley. Pre, no, it's, yes, it's, it's Matt Barkley. Um, but, you know, that's not great. I, I think Josh Allen plays. Like okay. I'm, I'm not too worried about him, uh, him missing this week. But, you know, we just have to wait and see for the practice reports. Yeah, I think I'm going to be hard-pressed, though, not to play uh, Diggs. And, you know what, I think I'd still be tempted to play Beasley if I was in a position where I was on a team where I had to rely on Beasley because he does feel like one of those guys that, uh, you know, a quarterback that's just coming off of the bench might be willing to uh, throw some targets to. So time will tell there. Rex Burkhead for the Patriots to miss time. I think what we're probably going to see here, Matt, is James White starting to get worked back into the mix a little bit more. Uh, We started to see that uh, this weekend. James White felt like was becoming a bigger part of the game plan, had a couple of nice plays. Of course, Sony Michelle now could be available for New England if they want to move him up. Damian Harris has been playing well. So though one player is leaving the backfield, it's still fairly murky. I feel the best about Damian Harris, though. Yeah, um... The Sony Michelle thing is interesting because they're there in theory is the angle that like there are carries available. They could bring Michelle in and give those to him and the uh, the targets that otherwise would have gone to Burkett could go to James White. But like Michelle is just so redundant with Damian Harris that I really don't see the benefit of them bringing him in. 
um, because he doesn't he doesn't do anything that Harris doesn't do. So I just I think it's probably going to be consolidated a little bit more towards Harris and White with Michelle maybe getting a little bit of work. But and also like I could see them maybe not wanting to bring. Well, I don't know if this is a very Patriots way of thinking about it, but maybe they wouldn't want to bring Michelle in and give him a ton of work uh, just because they already have such a good thing going with Harris. And uh, like they just want to see what he can do. Yeah. So time time will tell there. Uh, Randall Cobb for the Texans looks like he could miss some time. Uh, we did see Kiki Kute or Kuti uh, score a touchdown, his second on his career, uh, kind of getting back into the mix. I wouldn't be expecting him to pick up a tremendous amount of work, though, as a result of Cobb missing time. Do you think it has any substantial impact on Fuller or Cooks or perhaps one of the tight ends? Yeah, I think uh, this funnels targets more towards the tight ends. And that's what we saw last week um, with Aikens and Fells both uh, contributing pretty significantly. So I think just the middle of the field targets will now go towards the tight ends with, uh, I mean, Kute taking a little bit of the work, but not. uh, I mean, remember like when he was a rookie and he had like a couple of games where he was getting like 10 and 12 targets. Like, I don't think he approaches anything close to that. Yeah, I do remember that because I was in the uh, Rotoviz Reality Sports League and I had just stumbled my way into him and I was getting all kind of kinds of offers. And at the time I was I was resilient, but I definitely should have moved him along. Not that anybody cares. Um, Ingram and Dobbins, I believe, have tested or I don't know if they've tested positive, but they've hit the COVID list. So this actually has implications, Matt, because the Ravens face these Steelers on Thanksgiving night. We're looking at a Gus Edwards week here, aren't we? We definitely are. And uh, I do believe it is a situation in which both players tested positive for COVID. Okay. Uh, and, and so like that means they are definitely not coming back this week. And I believe that the Ravens play on Thursday after Thanksgiving. Uh, and so there's a chance that they might not be ready for week 13 either. So we could get back-to-back weeks of Gus Edwards as the clear locked-in lead back for the Ravens. Wow. And it's interesting because Edwards only handled the ball uh, three times in the Ravens game against the Titans. We actually saw J.K. Dobbins. I'm looking it up right now, but I believe it was 14 attempts. He also found the end zone. Uh, Okay, yeah, it was 15 rushing attempts, two targets caught both of them. So if you were hoping that he was going to build some momentum... That is not going to come to pass. Uh, So, you know, unfortunately for his owners, it looks like Gus Edwards is going to be the Raven that you want in the running back position. Um, Julio Jones, unclear where he stands uh, from a health perspective. We saw Russell Gage get a lot of targets uh, against the Saints. Obviously, Calvin Ridley was still involved. Hayden Hurst disappeared. Thoughts on what uh, this offense looks like without Julio? Clearly, it is one that is not as good. Yeah, um, I don't. I'm a little pessimistic that Julio is going to play. If he plays, I think he's a decoy, kind of similar to what we saw, I believe, against the Packers earlier in the year. Uh, the entire offense will be brought down because of that. Um, I think we would still see targets funneled to um, to Calvin Ridley. 
and a little bit to Russell Gage. In theory, you'd think Hayden Hurst, but I mean, he didn't have a catch last week. Uh, but of course, last week, they were just horrible circumstances. But um, yeah, it's it's bad news. And um, if Jones practices at some point this week, then that's a very good sign. And I think that he would play. And I would just kind of assume that uh, he will be close to his usual self. But if he doesn't practice at all, uh, I think it's hands off everybody on the Falcons, except for maybe Calvin Ridley. Wow. Um, so I'm quickly pulling up the splits here. Um, their points for go from 24.94 to 23.18 in the uh, games that Julio wasn't available. Let me just put that up though. And we'll go back. It's 2020. Now let's go back to 2006, uh, 2017 and see if that changes, um, out of split. Actually, they've scored, uh, two more points. Um, let's not read into that though. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be tough for, um, these players. Like, like you could look at Matt Ryan's splits. Yep. Uh, this year with Julio and without Julio, and it's like a massive difference. Yep. All right. Drives home the point there. Um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Matt, two scoring, scored two touchdowns this weekend. Um, it's probably worth noting that Le'Veon Bell did as well. He still ranks those 17th in points per game. I don't actually remember the last time that we checked in on him. I think it's worth saying that uh, just five total touchdowns on the season, but he still rushed for 655 yards, 232 receiving yards. Um, he's not going to match that ridiculous outlook that we had for him after week one, but I do kind of want to note that uh, kind of quietly, this is still for a rookie a pretty good season. Yeah, it's not a bad season for a rookie, but the uh, the introduction... And whether it's, uh, you know, like causal or just like uh, coincidental, uh, the introduction of Le'Veon Bell into this offense really has derailed Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Um, you know, before that, he was pacing for, you know, I don't know, like 1,200 to 1,400 yards, uh, and the touchdowns were going to come. He has scored three touchdowns in the past two weeks, but from a yardage perspective, he's just not getting the usage to be, you know, a, a weekly consistent contributor, uh, which is really frustrating. But yeah, if you, if you put it all together, by the time the season is done with, we still might have a guy with, you know, like 1200 yards who has eight touchdowns like that's that's pretty good yep and i think that it might in some ways present you an opportunity to go out and try to get him i think if i'm on a team that's not competing um i might be interested in in moving a couple of my guys to get to you know shift back try to get some youth go after uh ceh what do you think you think so i think everyone's still going to be pretty optimistic really? about him next okay. year even yeah i mean like people who are bullish on running backs uh i think as long as those guys do something in their rookie season uh they still are pretty bullish on them in their second year you know like i think people will still be optimistic like by the time the season gets back around, people will be optimistic about Edwards, Alaire, and Jonathan Taylor. But maybe actually now is the time to to buy low on them. But by the time the season comes back around, uh, and people kind of have more of an opportunity to look at things with a clearer head and, and kind of they get excited about these guys and project them forward within the offense. Uh, I think people will once again be optimistic on Edwards, Alaire. Okay, so perhaps then I'll frame it as. 
it might be hard to do, but I'm still going to float out and see if I can go ahead and, and try to acquire Edwards Alaire. And then also, you know, you brought up Jonathan Taylor. I think that he likely put some owners on tilt this week. I'm sure a lot of people were worried about him. Ends up getting, uh, what was it, 22 rushing attempts, 90 yards, caught four or four receptions, has caught 26 of 28 on the season. But I think beyond that, he also some, had some encouraging runs against the Packers, right? So his stock's starting yeah. to look up. Yeah, I mean, it was a very good matchup for him, but he also did not have good uh, game script just in terms of running so that he was able to, you know, get 22 carries in that situation uh, is very encouraging. Um, But yeah, I mean, entering last week, people were asking like, can I drop Jonathan Taylor? Uh, Should I start him versus like Zach Moss? You know, like people were very pessimistic about him uh, entering uh, last week. So, and by the way, I, I threw Zach Moss out there. He was on by last week. So that's not like a real, a real one, but you get like, you get the idea like that caliber of player. Um, so yeah, maybe people are starting to come around on Jonathan Taylor. Well, I think it was a key performance for a couple of reasons, right? It, 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 if you watched it, I think it gave you reasons to have a little bit more hope. But even beyond that, I think it shows that there is an investment in this player and that uh, it does seem like the Colts do not want to just, you know, throw this guy away. They want to try to keep, uh, you know, plugging forward with him and hoping that they can get him over that hump. So I was pretty pleased to see that. Frank Gore scored a touchdown, Matt. Can you believe it? Another season with a Frank Gore touchdown. And it's looking like with LaMichael P. Ryan out, Frank Gore is going to step into that bell cow role. Is he winning teams fantasy championships in 2020? Uh, I really don't think so. But uh, I mean, at this point, you you never know. Like who else is there at this point uh, in New York? I mean, I, I can't. Ty Johnson, maybe like, is he the number two back yeah, at this he, point I for the is. Jets? Yep. I mean, it's just, it's uh it is a situation where you could see Gore get, you know, 70, 75% of the backfield opportunities. Now, obviously this is not the type of offense that you're going to be excited about, but at this point, how many more chances do we have, especially if you're playing the waiver wire or if you have budget dollars left How many more chances are we going to have for a player stepping in a role like this? That's a key question. I don't think that there's going to be many more. So how much of your budget do you put down on Gore? I feel like if you need a running back in your dire straits on your team, I still don't know if I'm going more than half of that budget, Matt. Do you think that's too low? I, I think that's probably about right. I mean, the, the question is, are you actually going to be starting Frank Gore if you add him? You know, like if if you really do need him uh, and he's so much better than the other guys on your team, then uh, and he actually makes a difference in terms of making the playoffs or not, then, you know, if you do that evaluation, I, at that point you spend not everything, but pretty close to it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that that's probably fair. Um, do you agree, though, with the thought that the chances at this point in the season now of finding other players that could emerge and be available that are going to have similar roles, it's really diminished? Yeah, I mean, I'd say maybe one to two other players might pop up. But it, it, the thing is, even if they do, you still have to have the confidence that this guy coming out of nowhere will be good enough to start in any given week. And that's just, you know, that's like a desperation play. 
So yeah. uh, like with Gore, you at least have like a record of who he is and what he can do. And even if it's not great, like you can feel pretty confident about his workload. Yep. So the backs recently that have emerged. Uh, so we have Kalen Balaj. Is it Selvin Ahmed? Is that how I'm yep. supposed to say it? Yeah. Uh, he scored 12.4 points for Miami, uh, only 43 rushing yards, uh, but went five of six receiving for 31 yards. It feels like both he and Kalen Balaj are going to be usable until other pieces return in their backfields. Uh, these guys are looking like they are going to be key pieces for a lot of fantasy managers moving forward, um, operating under the premise that Eckler doesn't return, that Gaskin misses more time. Am I correct in that statement that these guys are looking like, um, you know, some key pieces for some teams that are going to win championships? Yeah, I mean, I don't know about winning championships because, uh, well, one, I'd say like maybe they don't have enough upside for that. But then two, by the time we get into the playoffs, Gaskin might be back. Uh, and Eckler might be back, but uh, certainly for the next week, maybe the next two weeks, they could be good enough to get you to the playoffs. Got it. I was expecting you to give me an answer like uh, no, because the team that has Dalvin Cook or, you know, something like that is going to be the one that wins it, which like after I asked, you can see I'm searching here yeah. to give I'm searching to give people hope, Matt, that they're taking home championships. Um, let's talk about Taysom Hill. Um, before we get into the performance, your thoughts on Sean Payton, uh, going against Jameis Winston, sticking with Taysom Hill. I know a lot of people really did not like this decision. I mean, I guess Sean Payton knows more than I do. So, you know, big, big surprise, but, uh, I don't know. I mean, I thought Jameis like entering the game, uh, I thought Jameis, would give uh, would give the Saints more of an opportunity in terms of throwing uh, to be able to attack the defense. Um, Taysom Hill evidently is good enough at doing the Drew Brees impersonation, uh, and he has the running capability that uh, neither Brees nor Winston has. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he feels like Tebow, except uh, actually maybe a little bit better. Yep. So my thoughts on this were when everybody was pushing back, my gut would tell me or when I first think about this, oh, they should definitely go with Jameis. Don't toss this gimmick player back there. However, though, I do think we need to keep in mind that this is Jameis Winston and all signs point towards this guy not being an exemplary uh, person, football player. Um, you know, a lot of bad adjectives that you can attach to Jameis Winston. So I can't help but wonder, too, if that somehow factors in. And when you need to turn this offense over, you just don't have that trust in him. Then there's the all the interceptions from last season. And maybe you just figure you can put Hill in there and just kind of manage the game well enough to get away with a win, which they did. Uh, unfortunately, though, Alvin Kamara, 13 rushes, did score a touchdown. Uh, rush for 45 yards, but just a single target. People are very worried about this. I think that it's fair to be worried about that. Do you agree? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, like think of Josh Allen 
And uh, I said, you know, Taysom Hill is kind of like Tebow. Maybe he's more like Josh Allen uh, in that, uh, like, has that running capability uh, more accurate, amazingly, than what we saw out of Allen, like, early in his career. But maybe that's just because of the uh, Sean Payton scheme. But, yeah, with uh, Josh Allen and other running quarterbacks, we don't see a lot of passes to the running back, either uh, kind of just by the quarterback deciding to run and so he doesn't check it down to the the uh, running back or maybe it's just kind of like not a uh, part of the design uh, like the scheme of a lot of the plays that we see and so uh Kamara which is one target uh I mean Kamara's if he's not the best pass catching back in the league uh is certainly in the top five and for him to have just one target like that that feels like it's not coincidental, you know, like that's kind of part of the new offense under Taysom Hill. And so I would be worried because uh, Kamara is not the best runner uh, at the position. Like that's not what he contributes. Um, He's probably a little bit below average. I mean, it's not as if like an above average running back below average running back in terms of like running the ball, like, as if it makes that big of a difference, but he's not a great runner. And so if you are highly diminishing the one thing that he really does well, then at this point you're just hoping he scores a touchdown. Yeah. You know, the other thing too, is that that's just kind of to your point there too. Um, Latavius Murray throughout the season has been getting a pretty similar share of rushing attempts Um, so, you know, that's just another reason that this is a problem because it's, it's not like if for whatever reason, the team gets up early in a game and they're going to run 30 times that, you know, Kamara is going to be getting 22, 24 rushing attempts, you know, it'd probably be 15, 16 would be pretty high. Uh, now we also saw targets getting concentrated pretty heavily to Michael Thomas saw 12 targets, Emmanuel Sanders at five. No other wide receivers getting significantly involved. Jared Cook wasn't really a factor. Uh, If you're a Michael Thomas owner, are you expecting going forward, we're just going to see the targets funneling to Michael Thomas? Uh, Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, if I'm a Michael Thomas owner, I am thrilled um, because I was scared that he's sort of morphed into an upside wide receiver too. Uh, But, you know, with this kind of volume, and I think it almost doesn't matter who the quarterback is, as long as like the targets are going to him. But with this kind of volume, uh, yeah, he's he's a wide receiver one. I completely agree. So we are going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Twenty twenty has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria 
and you can contact them the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visit Indeed each month, according to Comscore Total Visits, so it's clear Indeed can help get you the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31. Terms and conditions apply. So Keenan Allen, 19 targets. Keenan Allen feels like he's old, honestly, uh, but he's only 28. I don't know why it feels like he's old, Matt, uh, but clearly he and Justin Herbert, who's been fantastic, have a connection. What's the ceiling for these two? Uh, the, the ceiling is massive because it's not just the 19 targets. Um, it's 102 targets in Keenan Allen's eight full games with Justin Herbert. He's gotten double digit targets in every game, but one uh, with Herbert uh, every every full game that he's played. So minus the, the injury impacted game that he had. Uh, it's just, it's unreal. Um, and at this point you have to think like, he's not going to get like, he's not going to have 200 targets uh, in a 16 game season, but you know, like 160 to 180 feels like a, a near lock uh, as long as he is healthy. Uh, and with that kind of volume, I mean, we're talking, you know, uh, 1400 to 1600 yards as you know, like well within the, uh, the range of outcomes. And, uh, in the past we've seen Allen, I wouldn't say struggle, uh, to score touchdowns, but just not really have the, the opportunities near the end zone to score touchdowns, but with the enhanced target volume, and then he's also being targeted just a little bit more in the end zone. Anyway, uh, he's scoring more touchdowns. So five touchdowns in the eight games with Herbert, uh, 769 yards receiving in the eight games with Herbert. Um, he's, if not, you know, like the wide receiver one, cause that I think is still Devonte Adams. Uh, he's, you know, top five, uh, just in terms of, I think, what you would expect him to do moving forward. Wow. And Mike Williams um, has now strung together, excuse me, strung together a couple of nice games as well. So I think that there's reasons to be excited about these receivers. Uh, anyway, Mike, Mike yeah. Williams, because we've we've had the Keenan Allen versus <laughs> Mike Williams conversation. And, yeah. and I should just say, like, yeah, Keenan Allen uh, is playing awesome. Uh, like, it you can't really compare Mike Williams to Keenan Allen because he's just not going to be targeted as much, but still like he's averaging 9.7 yards per target. And if you look at what he's done since 2018, um, you know, we're looking at a guy with like 2.4 yards per target that puts him in the top five in the NFL over that time. And if you've looked at what he's done in the six games, since he returned from injury, he would be pacing for on the season over a thousand yards and about 11 touchdowns. So like he on his own is still a very good player who honestly is probably being underused. And that's not to say like they should take targets away from Keenan Allen, but like they need to give Mike Williams more targets. So, 
So if 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 you're Justin Herbert or you're the quarterback of the uh, of the Chargers, are you are you telling me that um, you know not every play your first look is Keenan Allen that uh, you're scripting plays to Mike Williams? What I'm saying is that instead of throwing the ball to Melvin Gordon or to Hunter Henry, well, I hope they're not throwing it to Melvin Gordon, seeing as he's in Denver. Okay. Yes. Correct. Instead of throwing the ball to Kalen Balaj, uh, I, I time warped. Instead of throwing yep. it to Kalen Balaj, uh, take some of those targets and take some of the ones going to Hunter Henry and give them to the guy who is incredibly efficient with his targets. Just give him a couple extra targets per game and see what happens. Okay. Okay. Um, one rookie wide receiver. We've talked a lot about these rookie wide receivers. I don't think that we've really talked yet about Denzel Mims very much in the season. Uh, Over the weekend, three of eight for 71 yards. However, uh, had 145 air yards last week. I think it was 180 over the weekend. And it looks like there's potential for some big games to close out the season. You know, as we've talked about before, when we mentioned the Jets, not the greatest offense. Uh, But it does look like it's possible things shake its way and we see a couple big games as we draw to a close. Yeah, so uh, it's a small sample. He's played, I believe, only four games at this Correct. point. Yep. And uh, some of them have been with um, Joe Flacco, which you know kind of throws off maybe what we should expect because we don't know when Sam Darnold is returning. But in those four games, he has averaged 126 air yards plus yards after the catch per game, which puts him number eight overall uh, in the league. So that's you know directly ahead of, of DeAndre Hopkins and Keenan Allen and DJ Moore and Tyler Lockett, just to like put this in perspective. Now I would say that the quality of his targets uh, is not the same as those other guys. Right. And so the, the 126 and like that, that will come down the more games that he plays, but like he's up there, you know, if he's able to convert some of these long targets into receptions, yeah, he could have a couple massive games to close out the year. Well, you know, something to be excited over. Uh, hopefully, uh, we can see him put some things together. Let's talk now about uh, a couple of longer-term topics. Take more of a dynasty lens here. Let's talk about Robert Tunyon Jr. Uh, and apparently, you do pronounce it that way, much like Funyuns, uh, which yes. I enjoy. Robert yeah. Tunyon Jr. Uh, scored a touchdown over the weekend, had that three-touchdown game against Atlanta, which came after back-to-back touchdown performances. Um, in Dynasty, what do you make of a player like this? He ranks eight now in PPR per game. Didn't really hear any conversation about him heading into the season, so he's certainly surprised. Um, is there reason to be excited, or is this season kind of an aberration? I think there might be a reason to be excited because he's still young. Um, he's athletic and he's been pretty productive with his opportunities. He's been inconsistent, but I mean, you could see how a young tight end uh, with his skill set who actually has had some production could continue to improve, um, especially if Rogers is there next year and, you know, maybe the year beyond that, although that's less certain. Um, so if you were in a dynasty league and whoever has Tunyon, 
uh, looks at him as, you know, like a, a high-end tight end two, I mean, there's not much of a difference between a high-end tight end two and low-end tight end one. But, you know, Tunyon might be a guy who's a low-end tight end one who has the ability, you know, potentially to develop into a top-tier tight end one. So if you can get him on the cheap, I think it's probably worth doing it. Yeah, 48.1 fantasy points over expectation has only gone under expectation one time this season. And that was when he went 5.5 PPR points versus an expectation of six. So it's been a pretty strong year for him. Uh, I want I want to derail the show for a second. Yeah, do it. Yep. Just to to uh, kind of put the Mike Williams conversation in, in context a little bit. So, Dave, there are four players over the past three years who have more yards per target than Mike Williams. And I should say like, if I'm sort of arbitrarily setting the cutoff at 150 targets uh, over the past three years. So, and this includes postseason. Do you want to guess who those four guys are? Think of four of the best wide receivers in the league. Those are some of the guys above Mike Williams. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins. No, let me rephrase this. Think of some of the most explosive wide receivers in the league. Explosive wide receivers in the league. Uh, Will Fuller. Who are still also really good. Will Fuller, good. Will Fuller is one spot above Mike Williams. Mike Williams is number five. Will Fuller is number four. Okay. Um, explosive players. I kind of want to say Mike Evans, even though I don't consider him that explosive in my mind. Okay, that's not a bad guess. Mike Evans is number seven. Okay. And I should say Chris Godwin is number six. So okay. those those Tampa Bay guys, uh, in part because of Jameis, yep. uh, you know, they've been able to be pretty good over the past three years. Uh, I'll, I'll give a hint here. Two of the guys ahead of Mike Williams are teammates and their quarterback, one might say, has really been cooking this oh, year God. all right so it's metcalf and lockett yeah that makes sense yes and then there's one guy at uh, the very top i mean adams aj brown oh crap yeah aj brown right. okay. yep. who's been so ridiculously efficient on a per target basis yep but but those are the seven guys with more than 10 yards per target over the past three years aj brown tyler lockett dk metcalf will fuller mike williams and then right underneath him, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. Do you think you should give Mike Williams the ball just a little bit more? Like just to see what he can do? Because if on somewhat limited volume, he's putting himself in the conversation with all of those guys, he might be able to do it with just a little bit more volume. You at least have to try. You, you have to give him the opportunity. And if he drops down from 10.2 yards per target on more volume to 9.8, 9.2, that's still really good. That still makes him one of the most efficient wide receivers in the league. Hey, I, I'm sold, Matt. You know, I'm going to, uh, you know what? I'm going to give, I'm going to give you some applause for uh, that case that you made for Mike Williams there. I buy it. Um, can we move on now? Yes. Thank you. Okay. I want to talk here about Corey Davis, and I want to know if Corey Davis has raised his fantasy value over the course of this season. On the year, um, he has just three touchdowns, okay, 607 air yards, 549 receiving yards, but if we look at uh, you know his games above 10 points, he's gone over 10 points 
every game this season compared to what people might have expected from Davis in other years, I do feel like this is a step forward. Uh, has he raised his value? Yeah, I mean, this is the best season of his career so far. And if it weren't for uh, A.J. Brown uh, manhandling people every game, uh, I think people would be talking more about Corey Davis. He's averaging 10 yards per target. Uh, he's missed some time, but if you just extrapolated the eight games he's played uh, over a 16-game sample, he'd have almost 1,100 yards for the season. Um, yeah, I mean, he's. I wouldn't say that he's fulfilling the promise that he had in college because I don't think he's ever going to live up to his number five overall draft pedigree, but uh, certainly having the best year of his career. Yep. Um, doing well, too, in terms of efficiency, ranks in uh, among wide receivers at 20 in fantasy points over expectation per game. Um, also ranked 16 uh, in team target percentage, too. So Titans have been using him even with uh, you know a star in Brown. All right, Matt, this is completely anecdotal, but some of the best teams that I have this season are ones where I kind of broke my mold and went with a quarterback earlier on in the draft. I have my answer here. What's yours? Could we be at a point where there actually is now an advantage to grabbing a quarterback early? Mm, Maybe, but I'm kind of skeptical. I think this is just a really weird year. Um, and I'm imagining also that you're kind of a sharper drafter. So even when you were going with a quarterback early, you weren't going with Lamar Jackson. You were going with, uh, I would say probably like Kyler Murray or Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson, like whoever was falling to you as like the fifth or the sixth quarterback off the board. And in that instance, you were getting a guy who uh, still had the upside of being, let's say, like the number one or number two overall quarterback, uh, but you were getting him at the bottom of the tier, which means you were getting value. Okay, yeah. So that's exactly it. And I know that I'm not the only person that feels this way because I have seen people on Twitter kind of talk about this a little bit. But when I actually reflect on it, what happened there, I think, was that I got lucky in that the quarterbacks that I did this with And perhaps some of it was understanding that you had the rushing ability that they were, you know, maybe the type of players who could have top three quarterback seasons were positioned in that. Um, But yeah, I ended up with Marion Watson on these teams. However, I don't think that that is a larger uh, takeaway for the position at large, because as you alluded to, if I'd gone and taken Lamar Jackson, this wouldn't have worked out. I'm not sure that I'd be having the same results if I went for Patrick Mahomes earlier on. And um, I think this is one of those where if you focus too much just on your results that you got, you're going to be getting overly influenced by the fact that that happened to be the times that you picked like the two players that were really going to smash in that system. I do think, though, that it lends to some lends some credence to the idea of it's okay to go after a quarterback when you're at a point in the draft where things don't really make sense for other positions. Um, yeah. This is something that I think we'll have to explore more in the offseason, uh, but I do think that it, it's fairly um, interesting to bring up. And, and so you had said, too, that you know it's kind of a weird year. Could you elaborate a little bit on what you what you meant by that or what makes you say that? Yeah, so uh, this year is atypical in a couple of ways. One, 
uh, a lot of the players drafted within that draft range of those other quarterbacks, like guys going, let's say like three through seven off the board. Um, a lot of those guys have just busted and some of it has been COVID related. Some of it has just been kind of like the weirdness of this season where uh, like offenses aren't playing at peak capacity guys like more guys are getting injured because they didn't have a proper training camp, whatever it is. We've just seen a lot of players in the middle rounds bust. Uh, and so the quarterbacks that you took there look better relative to, um, to some of the guys at the other positions. And then also this year is weird in that I would say, unlike a lot of seasons, the guys Uh, and you could clearly identify them, the guys going like quarterbacks three through seven, you could look at them and say like, this guy actually has a chance to finish as a top two quarterback. Uh, Whereas like most seasons, the guys who are going in that range are like more like it's better to think of them as sort of like guys who are at the top of the low end QB one tier and not like at the bottom of the top of the QB one tier. You know what I mean? Like yep. the quality of the guys going quarterback three through seven this year, even before the season, you could identify it. Like the quality of those guys was just much higher than what we typically see in a given season. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, so, you know, like I said, that's something that I think that will come back to. Uh, nonetheless is interesting. Um, okay. There's been a lot of different things related to this going around. I feel like we actually talked about this with mansion during the summer and I, and I disagreed with at least him. Then can you define robust running back for me? Because it seems like there's not a clear definition on this. And I think that, that there should be, I mean, isn't robust running back, um, Okay, I would say there's probably something of a fluid definition, but it's not like you have to go like five running backs to start your draft. But I would say probably you have at least three in the first five. And I would say probably your first two picks are running backs. Maybe three of your first four picks are running backs. But it's sort of like the uh, a clear focus on the running back position in the first five rounds so that you are attempting to, I wouldn't even say corner the market, but uh, give yourself as good of a chance as possible of hitting on three studs who can carry your team throughout the playoffs. Okay. Because I see people trying to posit that zero running back or not, excuse me, not zero running back. That robust running back can be starting off your draft, just going running back by three and that can constitute a running back, like a robust running back. So you could just go three running backs to start and then four wide receivers, and that could be robust running back. I don't believe that that constitutes itself as a robust running back uh, for a couple of reasons. The first being that you are not necessarily building your team around running backs if you do that, but also the term robust, this all goes back to that book um, or, you know, the kind of... Um, Anti-fragile. Anti-fragile, right. Thank you. I couldn't remember if it was that or Black Swan by Taleb. Um, Where a robust system, I don't think that if you look at the definition, I wish I had it with me um, here, I don't think that just going the three 
running backs to start gives you yeah. that robust system. You Okay, you, you are correct. So if you were to kind of think philosophically about robustness and then apply that to your typical fantasy lineup, let's say you have two spots for starting running backs and then a third spot for a flex. You would want to fill uh, the running backs in all three of those spots, probably with your first three picks, and then you would make yourself robust by drafting other running backs who would just be on your bench. That is actually what gives you the quality of robustness and that if one of those guys that you drafted with a top three pick ends up being injured, you have a guy that you drafted in the fourth round or the fifth round who can just slot in and take his spot presumably without you missing much of the production. So yeah, robustness would would imply that you are going above and beyond at the running back position early in the draft. Right, yeah. So to be robust, you need to have extra resources that you can bring in yes. if necessary. Now, the difference as to why Sean originally posited that zero running back was not just robust, that it was actually anti-fragile, is that it would benefit from the chaos that can happen. Right. And you then not only are strong at wide receiver, but you could also get strong at running back. And there's a lot of different ways we could look at this. But I see two people pushing back on Rotoviz when we talk about the um, running back dead zone. And um, there's a lot of different kind of arguments being made. But I think the fundamental problem that we're having in talking through a lot of these things on Twitter is that there isn't this definition of robust running back. Uh, and I just don't think yeah. that the three running backs cuts it. Um, yeah, like it I would less, say, yeah, go ahead. I would say for something to be defined as robust running back, you need to have at least four running backs in the first five rounds. Yeah. I like it. All right. So we're in agreement. So that's good. We can uh, press on here. Um, we have checked in on, on uh, Hollywood Brown already. Give me another panic check on a scale from uh, zero to 10. Are you at an 11? Eh, I mean, not in an 11, but uh, I mean, the, the Patrick Curtis bull case is not looking good at this <laughs> point. So, I mean, when, when Des Bryant is coming in off the street and basically serving as the number one wide receiver, um, yeah, I mean, it's there, there are significant problems. Wait, do you mean uh, uh, the and, duck test or the, what's the bull case? What do you mean? The, the bull, like, uh, I think the, the, the I thesis, think, oh, okay. like the thesis that, uh, that Patrick Curtis kind of put out at the beginning, like he had his article it was, on like, I think it was like the Brown. duck test. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if, yes, if it if it looks like a duck, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. So yeah, the article where he's basically from multiple angles trying to break down why why Hollywood Brown is a can't miss guy. And I should say, like, it was convincing. It like, was convincing. I, I think, yeah, I think if I had to do everything over again, I would probably still draft Marquise Brown where he was going. I think more often than not, in a circumstance like that, Marquise Brown ends up uh, paying off. You know, uh, it just happened that it was Will Fuller who, who did it instead of Marquise Brown. But, you know, I would still want to invest in him in that situation. But where we are now, it looks really bad. Uh, the connection is just not there between Lamar Jackson and Marquise Brown. Like it's either a poor throw or it's a ball that's fine. And then Marquise Brown drops it. So at some point this has to correct. But, uh, I mean, you, it has to correct with Marquise Brown on your bench. You know, like you can't put him in your starting lineup unless you were just absolutely desperate. Yep. You know, and I got to be honest, too. 
I was never really sold on Brown. Uh, but then Curtis, you know, he's a convincing guy, completely convinced me. And then I started adding him to some teams. Um, so I, would, I would try to buy low in Dynasty right now. Okay, that's fair. Um, all right. We have talked before. You and I have made, in fact, we even made a bet about Jarvis Landry and OBJ, which I think we can't really evaluate given the fact that OBJ went down. Uh, Landry ranks in the 60s, Matt, in uh, points per game at the wide receiver position. Just scored five points this past week. We probably already should have talked about this. Is like, was the time to panic on Landry a couple of weeks ago? I mean, no, I think the time to be excited about Landry was a couple of weeks ago when it actually looked like, hey, with uh, OBJ out, okay, yeah. you might actually see Landry get the action that uh, kind of a- approaches what he had uh, either a couple of years ago or when he was in Miami. Um, but I mean, we certainly have not seen that. Uh, he's just, yeah, he's a slot receiver in an offense that plays a lot of two tight end sets. And runs the ball like there's just not all that much to be excited about. And he will have those occasional high volume games, but he has only one game this year with double digit targets. Um, there's not a lot to be excited about here. I mean, he a big part is that he's yet to score a touchdown. If he had scored a, even a couple of touchdowns, people wouldn't feel nearly as bad. But uh, I mean, I don't think it's a total coincidence. Like when they get near the end zone, they're just running the ball in because they're a very good running team and they're committed to their running backs. So uh, I don't, I don't think things are going to get better for Jarvis Landry. Uh, He's not a good athlete. Uh, Let me rephrase that. He's not an explosive athlete uh, and he's going to be 29 next year. Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, like you, you can't, you can't trade him because you're not going to get anything for him. But at the same time, you can't be excited about his future at all. No, you can't. And to make matters worse, he's only finished as a wide receiver two or better in 10% of his games this year. Wide receiver three, everybody can do the math, but in 90% of games, not where you want to be. Um, Miles Sanders, that might seem like an odd one, but I asked this in, if you were somebody in a redraft league that took Miles Sanders, not only has he missed time, um, you know, you're looking now at three straight games that where he's played of just, uh, you know, between 11 and 13 fantasy points did score 22 in week two, um, 24 in week five, but I feel like you've probably been a little bit let down and you might be worried that he's not going to come out and crush for you in the weeks that we have left. Um, you know, if you're that owner, should you be panicking? No, I mean, it sucks that he hasn't been more productive, but he's gotten at least 20 opportunities in each of the past two games, like since he returned from injury. Uh, You can't really ask for much more than that. I mean, you can hope that he is efficient with his opportunities and hope that he scores touchdowns. But uh, as long as he's actually getting the opportunities, that's really all that you can screen for. So, uh, I mean, I, I think you just have to keep on starting him. Like, who else do you have who's going to get you 20 opportunities pretty consistently? Yeah, no, there's absolutely no reason to be worrying about Miles Sanders. I don't think, personally, I can understand being disappointed. But, um, you know, there's really, I don't think, any reason to be worried about him. Um, and the production really hasn't been that bad. It's just been that he hasn't been available. So hopefully, uh, you know, that can turn around. 
We are going to try something here, Matt. I'm going to try to play this clip because I'm lazy and I don't want to have to stitch it in. I'm going to play the audio out through my phone into the microphone. Turducken, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. This is a turducken. Are you able to hear that? Yes, unfortunately. Here we go. Right here, where we got... You know what a turducken is? A turducken, this thing here, is a deboned duck stuffed in a deboned chicken stuffed in a deboned turkey. With stuffing, now you're talking. And that has eight legs. All right, that was it. There's more where he discusses it and breaks it down. But, uh, you know, I thought, what better way to send people into the holiday week uh, than to play them that quick, real quickly? Are there any wide receiver cornerback matchups that we should be looking for on Thanksgiving? Uh, on Thanksgiving uh, in particular, uh, there's that Steelers-Ravens game. Uh, and so we've seen Deontay Johnson uh, when he hasn't been injured in the middle of a game, which unfortunately seems to happen every other week. But when he's been healthy, uh, he's been targeted heavily. Um, but we did see in week eight, when he played against the Ravens, uh, he had only three targets. Uh, he has a tough matchup going against Jimmy Smith on one side, Marcus Peters on the other side. I will be curious to see uh, how Deontay Johnson does this week against uh, a Ravens cornerback group that I still think is one of the best in the league. Got it. Well, I'm really looking forward to that game. I think it's going to be a great way to close off Thanksgiving, uh, which is always a great holiday. We hope that everybody really enjoys it, stays safe, and uh, has a wonderful Thanksgiving. That does it for this episode. You can reach us at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at MattFTheOracle. Thanks to Indeed and Bet Online for sponsoring the show. Uh, and uh, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. Football is back in swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sports book experts.